Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I'm Adam. Uh, and we are here at the behest of Adam to cover uh, a film that I know he's a big fan of. Um, I've got a feeling Chris is going to like it, but we'll see. Uh, 19- I can hear the pain in your voice already. Eh? I can hear the pain in your voice already. Just trying to stay awake. I've just watched it and it's, you know... <laughs> You did well. It's a bit of a one to come out of, I would say, yeah. If you don't like it, that is a, a bit of a slog. It's a long old time. Um, but yeah, so 1978's Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I know it's a classic. I know everybody likes it. I know I'm in the minority, but I'm not going to lie, just to keep you pricks happy. So, um, <laughs> in... <laughs> so <laughs> before we get into it, um, Chris, have you had the opportunity to watch anything else in the last two weeks? Oh, well, so it's been a bit of a busy, t- I was going to say week, because I was counting the previous week as Star Wars watching. But So yeah, I've been a bit busy with work this week and building a, a cross trainer. And Shelley wanted to watch Lupin. I don't know if any of you have been watching that. Is this, what, as in Edgar Allan Poe, is that? No, it's, um, it's a... Uh, Gentleman Thief, a French mystery thriller. Oh, right. Um, it's it's pretty good. It's it's a bit odd though. I think it's like it's dubbed, so it's it seems really strange sometimes that the speaking doesn't exactly seem to fit. Um, but overall, it's it's been quite entertaining. We've only seen the first two episodes, um, but yeah, it's just, it sort of unfolds. Um, so how it appears at first, he he creates sort of a heist. And he's got people involved, but then it just carries on turning out that he's got deeper plans throughout. So, yeah, it's quite good the way the story unfolds. Um, I think it's only a short series. I think it might be five episodes, possibly. Is that the one that's just come on Netflix? Is that the Netflix thing? Yeah, that's it. Um, So, yeah, not bad. I've not even heard heard of it, so... I only spotted mm. it because it looks like it's spelt like Lupin. And I just remember thinking, yeah, oh, my God, it. it's the Lupin Express. And then from there, I just went <laughs> <laughs> and moved on. Yeah. <laughs> I bring you Lupins. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was... I got confused there. I thought it was... Um, you know, Edgar Allan Poe has that detective. Is it Dupin or something? Who's uh. like the... He's yeah. like before Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or Dupont, something like that. Yeah, I thought it might have been that. Uh, mm. Which I still think there would be a good series from. See Auguste Dupont. Mm. Well, That's him. That's the fella. That's right, because isn't he the first... I think his that story by Edgar Allan Poe is the first time that the word detective was used. Is that correct? I think it's something along those lines because it's it's definitely because it's murdering because he's I can't remember if murder in the room morgue is the first one that's with him because there's a couple of other ones as well mm. um, but murders in the room morgue I think it is that's the first one and it's basically like the first detective story you know in, in or sort of modern detective story as mm. we would understand it. Yeah, it uh, sounds uh, like a quiz question. I'm going to come across at some point. So, well, we thank you for letting we, me know that. I was going to say this is that is essentially what this show does. 
<laughs> we we give people that. Oh fuck yeah! You remember they said something about that prick. Uh, <laughs> I said the only reason I know that useless piece of information, um, and Adam will back me up because he was with me. Uh, they did when Sherlock the the newest season came out, the Mark Gatiss one. Um, mm. At the was it the Royal? But one of the it was the Museum of London, wasn't it? That's right. They did an exhibition on him. And they had the original handwritten manuscript by Edgar Allan Poe, where he used mm. the word detective in it. And I'm, yeah. sure I'm saying it's because it the first time it was written in a story. Um, mm. Yeah, and it was a fantastic exhibit. But I just remember standing for like 15 minutes, staring at a page handwritten by Edgar Allan Poe. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't care how many people are waiting behind me. I'm not moving. It was just magnificent. And it, obviously, because paper and everything was so expensive then, his handwriting mm. is so tiny, it's almost illegible. It was oh, really yeah, no, it's hard to see. Very efficient. Yeah. It's very efficient, but also it's one of those things where it's like, fuck, no wonder everyone had piss poor eyesight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so by candlelight and you're scratching out like minuscule yeah. <laughs> text. You're mixing the cat blood with the ink to make it go further. <laughs> Um, right, sorry, I've dragged this off topic. Um, Adam, have you watched anything in the last fortnight? Well, I've, um, I mean, one was entirely inspired by the good people at Not For Everyone podcast. So go and listen to Not For Everyone podcast. And uh, that was uh, bad taste just because mm. they talked about it. And it's that thing that you always get is if you're a fan of bad taste, that just makes you excited and you watch bad taste. <laughs> so yeah. Um, again, it's it's a film that it's a film I'd love to do. I mean, obviously they've just done oh. it, so it wouldn't be any time sort of like soon, but yeah. Cause it's just mental. I think that's the only way to describe it. It's I just seem to remember like, you mentioning it before and saying we should cover it at some point. It's well, I mean, Peter Jackson actually has a pretty good because it's Peter Jackson's first film. His first, okay, that's interesting. It's his first film, and seriously, you watch it, and it's and the thing was is I think in my head I only ever think of that, and that's the Peter Jackson film in my head. I always forget that he did like the Frighteners and Brain Dead. Mm. Yeah, did he? And yeah, don't realize he did. So he did those films. But I always forget about them. I always just like, right, bad taste. Because it was that, also it was the thing <laughs> of the front cover of the video was an alien giving the finger. Yeah. 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 Like, I remember that in the uh, in the videos. Sure. Exactly. That's mm. where that's where it is burrowed in my head. Is from That was the cover that, what's um, our good friend Wes from Mott's Eisley Happy Hour. He always says that it's, it's the cover of bad taste and the drawing of a punk with a Mohican between two sets of breasts. Never found out what that film was. It, you never <laughs> video shop every time. It was the one that stood yeah. out to an eight-year-old boy. I have no idea what that film was. Yep, still no idea. Maybe listeners would like to help us with that one, you know. Um, answer, welcome to horror. There you go. There's a, there's <laughs> a new one. We've, we've thrown a new spin on a moribund section of the show. <laughs> Um, but so yeah. Peter Jackson really ramped up then, didn't he? Because I've just looked Obviously. up his list directing, yeah. and yeah, he went pretty quickly into Lord of the Rings after not and having that's done. The thing. 
that's the thing is in my head it was like there's they're doing a film of Lord of the Rings. All oh, right, okay. It was like suddenly he's like involved with living trees <laughs> and dwarves and elfin folk and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm still thinking You're imagining Yeah, I'm just thinking of bad taste where it's like, you know, pig guts thrown around on a beach and lots of and people vomiting up dinner. And it's <laughs> It's not the first. Basically, if someone said to me, "Okay, go and make Lord of the Rings. Go and pick your director," he wouldn't have been. No. He wouldn't have even come to mind. I don't think because <laughs> in my head, I'm just thinking bad taste. But obviously, yeah. I mean, we should cover the frighteners as uh, well. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you've definitely mentioned that as well. But yeah, I yeah. think I really need to watch these now because the first I heard of him was when he'd done Lord of the Rings. I was like, okay, yeah, he's done a great yeah. job with these but yeah i had no idea what he did previously i suppose so, yeah. actually it would be it'd be the equivalent now of it's always directors like you get these sort of really good directors who are doing more sort of independent or left field sort of stuff mm. but nowadays you get given a marvel movie yeah yeah you know it's like uh taka watiti doing mm. thor ragnarok and stuff like that and yeah, or like the guy who did the um, Godzilla from a few years back. They're all people who'd sort of like done these, maybe one weird little hit, and or like, <laughs> or in Takawati's case, quite you know a long stream of just really good product. Great stuff, but I guess still sort of niche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think yeah. So I think that's probably why Peter Jackson ended up doing Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no. If seriously, if you watch Bad Taste, you you will not. Now I've told you. Um, well, actually, there's two things. Now I've told you it's Peter Jackson. Plus the fact Peter Jackson is about three of the main characters in the fucking film <laughs> <laughs> because there was only like 18 people making this film in the in New Zealand, and so like it's him and like a few other mates. But at one point, he he's he's fighting himself on a rock. Like on a cliff face, and it's just you know it is bizarre, and uh, yeah, then he goes and does the Lord of the Rings trilogy, yeah, uh, and as they said on Not for Everyone podcast, unfortunately the Hobbit trilogy as well. Yeah. So, I've, so uh, I didn't because I've been saving that episode. I listened to the opening until they started mm. to cover Bad Taste, and then I suddenly realised I don't remember anything about it. I, I've definitely seen it. And I, I yeah. owned it. Um, but yeah, I was the opposite to you. I always went to brain damage. Uh, brain damage. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I always brought brain damage, which is a great film. Yeah. And again, mm. is to think that he went from that to Lord of the Rings seems insane. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go back and rewatch uh, Bad Taste at some point. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, no, sorry. Um, yeah, like, I, I didn't mind The Hobbit. Um, what, why didn't they like it? I mean, we're sort of going off track, but I figure this may be a we slightly always, we short episode because I don't know if Lee can handle another two hours of us talking about um, Dawn of the Dead. I've got some well, things right. to say. They might take oh, a Oh, yeah, while. no, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, go on. So why, why did they not like The Hobbit? I think, I think they just didn't think it was up to par. And which seems to be the general consensus, and it, I do have it to is, say, yeah, stretch the trilogy out of a book that's shorter than any of the 
But that's a lot. I quite liked that. He, I quite liked that he did that. I mean, I, I get it depends. I did really like the book. Um, I, I read it when I was very young, but I still thought it, it. To me, it seemed like if he brought out something that really was close to the book, then that would have seemed really odd after having brought out Lord of the Rings. So he should have done it the other way around. So I kind of thought that's fair enough that he's tried to make it similar in in style and yeah, and length. Yeah. I mean, one thing they said on the episode is apparently he was just meant to be producing it and ended up directing it. Okay. So maybe maybe there's that element to it or something. You know, maybe it just doesn't come across because I don't. I've not seen. I've not seen them properly. I've basically okay. tuned in, and gone. I know Sylvester McCoy's in this. I'll wait until Sylvester McCoy's in this, <laughs> and then I switch over. So after he's been on, so yeah, that's that's about the level of my experience. But what I've seen have just been a bit sort of like. Oh, okay. I think that's probably what it is. It's just that he did, you know, people were really into his version of Lord of the Rings, and mm. it's almost it's almost the Star Wars prequels effect. So, uh, yeah, um, see, I suppose yeah. that might. Yeah, there's definitely something to that. I think similar to that, any Star Wars that comes out, I'll happily watch, whether it's you know very good or not. Um, yeah. And it's probably a bit like that. I was just quite happy that someone was making The Hobbit. So, yeah. You'd rather they were making it than not, I suppose. Is yeah. Always. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless, unless it's so bad that, you know, that you... Yeah. It really puts you off. But. <laughs> um, I've also continued Claire's... Uh, Claire wanted to watch an anthology film. So we watched... Uh, Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible, because it turns out Yay. Claire hadn't seen it. For some reason in my head, I had watched it with Claire. But we have been doing this show on Zoom for so long now that the reason I was like, I remember watching that and joking along with it and everything else. Yeah, because I watched it with you two. <laughs> you know, I forgot. It was almost like we've been doing this on Zoom so long, I forgot that we that the idea is we'd meet up, watch the film, record the episode, and you're like... Oh, yeah, that's why I think I've watched this in company, because I did, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, um, yeah, we we watched, I mean, obviously, we've, there was a whole episode on it way back when. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's still great and has continued Claire's love of um, the uh, anthology movie. Mm. Um, I watched, I've uh, finished watching Tales of the Uncanny, the documentary about anthology movies. Oh, yeah. um, that was really good. And at the end of it, they um, said it was... Um, that, sorry, they got everyone involved to vote. And they'd also, because this was like Severin Films' own documentary, they'd also put like a poll up on Twitter and stuff. Right. And, it, and so it was like the votes for best and movies and everything um the only thing i think was is that they they sort of skirted over vault of horror uh but they obviously did mention can't you do anything neatly can't you because it is the standout it is yeah um yeah. but it, it's sort of um but yeah no it's a really really good documentary worth tracking down um and again it's just been really weird to sort of because it's been either Everyone's saying that film's great and I've agreed with them or I've never heard of this film and all these people are saying it's great <laughs> who've just said that all the films I really like are good as well. So, yeah, 
it will probably end up um, opening up like a whole new, whole new avenues, new sort of anthology films to watch, which will be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and because because we watched Doctor Terrible's House of Horrible, we actually watched uh, slightly off topic, but it is an amicus film technically. We watched Doctor Who and the Daleks, the Peter Cushing Dalek movie. Yeah. Um, which is him and Roy Castle together again and from exactly the same year as Dr. Cerebral's House of Horrible. So, mm. yeah. And because that was the thing is was what uh, Claire was half watching it, admittedly. Um, and uh, she suddenly went, hang on, it wasn't he in Dr. Terrible's And it's like, yeah, it's Roy Castle again. And it's <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And I said, that's why he's doing pratfalls everywhere. Because it's very much, it's a very similar performance. So... <laughs> And it's also one of those lovely moments where you watch something, you think, yeah, this is a kid's film. This is a kid's film. We're all dying of radiation poisoning. This is a kid's film. This is a kid's film. This is a kid's... Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, kids were made of sterner stuff then, I fear. You know, I think kids today would could take it, but I don't think their parents could. Oh. I think I think it's true. I think I was thinking about this in the week. Again, I know it's going slightly off topic, but I know it's something we've discussed quite a lot. I was thinking about it in the week, you know, about, um, you know, people saying, oh, well, you know, I know my kids are 12 and 10 and 12 or whatever, but there's still stuff that's PG that I won't let them watch. Yeah, and I'm just like, I remember being six years old and watching Raiders of the Lost Ark and just like, you know, all the melting zombies and the ghosts and stuff. Like it did, I was just like, oh, that was cool. Like I never came away. The melting face scene was... Fucked for the rest of my life. None of us were, none of us were scarred by anything we ever saw. I think this whole, like, oh, you've got to be super, you know, cushiony, cuddly about I'm like, and the worst thing is, I think if you keep kids away from stuff, this is the thing, if you don't gently ease them into it, all of a sudden, they're just going to watch Cannibal Holocaust unexpectedly, and what the fuck's going to happen then? It's, it's the thing of you fetishise it almost because you forbid it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I knew a kid at school whose um, parents used to record movies, but they would cut out any sex. And it's like, well, if you're not comfortable with, show, don't show them the film. Yeah. Do you know That's what weird. I mean? It sort of seemed like a weird sort of thing to sort of do. Um, but also, I think there's, it's weird because you go back. At, I think more than anything is you just prove that kids are very resilient and pr- pretty much unaffected by stuff because a lot of the time you do watch things that you watch as a kid you go i was watching this when i was a kid this is fucking gruesome you know what <laughs> i mean or like, but it obviously doesn't phase you as a kid you don't no. sort of maybe it's the same way that you don't you don't register the trade embargo of phantom menace but but doesn't you know, a lot of this a um... kid, but it did have a cool guy with a double-headed lightsaber <laughs> and a funny frog, you know. So, do, do you not think a lot of this comes from the media, though? Um, vilifying oh, people, you know, the, amount, mean, the amount of um terrorist acts, and they say, Oh, and he was listening to this music and he was watching this, and so it makes everyone think, Oh, you know, shouldn't do that. If, the weird thing is, is it's there's it's systematic as you go through that every time frame or generation has a panic, and it was like. When we were talking about when we did Tales from the Crypt and we were talking about the EEC horror comics, and that was like there was books written about how this was warping the youth, and that's why they went mm. to build coffee bars and slash seats in cinemas. 
and all sort of thing. And it's like no one goes to the fundamental fact that fucking teenagers are mental. <laughs> and that's why this shit happens because you're fucking mad, essentially. You know, you've got too much energy and not enough, not enough brains. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Well, to, does so, this tell us what what sort of things did you get up to as a teenager? Um, doors mainly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but again, but then you get so you'd have like the horror comics. Then it was violent films. Then it was. Um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons and the Satanic oh, yeah. Panic. Then it was rock, uh, obviously rock music or whatever music was out at the time was dangerous. When I was at primary school, my headmistress, and Claire knows this story because I told her it and she found it hilarious, my headmistress banned us from saying acid. Really? Yeah, because this was like, what, I don't know, this would have been... 85 or something like that I, yeah um, so there's a bunch of us and we're all like 6 or 7 or something like that and she was like right and there's a thing going around and we don't want it and I don't want to hear people saying acid in, and it was like so she boiled down the panic of illegal raves, clubbing and ecstasy to down one to, word. to one word which is if you heard someone say acid Mm. And but here was the thing, she was quite religious. We used to have a vicar come in every so often, and we had a cool and funky vicar, you know, sort of like, <laughs> hey, but you can call me Joe. Um, <laughs> that sort of a vicar. And he's all right, bloke, but he was, yeah, he was, he was definitely like a young and hip and happening vicar. And he, like, he was doing this thing where it was like, right, okay, we're going to do this story, but I want you to help me. So this group here, you're going to be the police. And whenever the police are mentioned, you go, hello, 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 or something like that. And then it was like, and you lot, you, and this included me, you <laughs> lot, you're the, you're the street punks or the street gang or something like that. And whenever you're mentioned, you've got to go, acid. And she nearly like had a fucking aneurysm over yeah. in the corner and then we're all sat there going, but miss, the vicar's we, told yeah. us we've got to say. He said, we've got to do it. Not even that we're allowed to. We've got to. A vicar told us. Oh, we were fucking loving that. And, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if it was just more of a personal thing. It'd be like me. If I was a headmaster, I'd be like, what? There are kids dancing in the... No, no dancing in the <laughs> playground. I'm outlawing that. Why? Because I don't like it and it's bullshit. You're not allowed it. It's nonsense. Dancing serves no purpose for anybody. Just stop it. It will turn you into a crazy teenager. Exactly. I've seen all them John Waters films. I know how it goes. First you're dancing, yeah, true, yeah. the next thing, yeah. Yeah, well, suddenly suddenly you're just dusting off a seven-inch <laughs> and, uh, and the world goes rockabilly crazy. <laughs> um, so I've only seen one thing. I've been pretty pants, but I have been reading a lot. So that's my excuse. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, following, I think I mentioned last week uh, that I'd watched um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which then led me to show Jennifer the fearless vampire killers because she'd never seen it. Um, oh, the um, Roman uh, Polanski. Yeah. Uh, starring and directed film with Sharon Tate. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's 
it's weirder than I remember. I remember it being weird, but it was even weirder than I remember. Um, yeah, I always get that when I go back to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. But it's such a fun film, and it's such a beautiful looking film as well. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I love the way it's shot. And I know a lot of it, like a lot of the outdoor shop stuff was all shot in Italy and stuff in the snow. Um, yeah. And the rest of it was all in Elstree. But yeah, it's a really good looking film. Um, yeah, and I really enjoyed it. So if anyone's looking for a bit of, bit of a fun hour and a half vampire film with Roman Polanski, if your politics will allow you to continue to watch his films, uh, then yeah, Fearless well, Vampire I mean, Killers. He, he, te- he, I remember what he got an Oscar for it. Sorry, well, that sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> either, either that or I'm just about to be murdered in my bed by a group of Hollywood lawyers. <laughs> Don't you tell the truth. <laughs> Uh, that's what he got the Oscar for. <laughs> right, so... Uh, yeah. Excellent. Right, so, to get into it, hang on. Get myself prepped. Okay. I think I'm in the right headspace now. So, we have just watched, all of us have just watched the full two hour and 20 minutes. Let me repeat that. Two hours and 20... My notes literally say two hours and 20. Fuck off. Um, The two hours and 20 minutes of Dawn of the Dead. So, Chris, what did you make of Dawn of the Dead? I enjoyed it. Um, It was a bit longer than I was expecting, but I kind of thought they got away with that by making it change quite noticeably throughout... So, you know, the aim of the film seemed to be a bit different where they went from, um, you know, lots of fighting to then figuring out how they're going to survive in the mall. Um, bit of comedy thrown in, which uh, perhaps a little bit odd at times. Um, um, you know, a serious amount of effects. I guess Tom Savini had his work cut out for him on this one. Um, and, and of course, he was in it as well, which was kind of good. Um, so I yeah. think it's the first time we've seen him acting, I think. Uh, no, um, we saw him on It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, yes. he's the okay. uncle in that, wasn't he? Um, but he had a couple of lines in this, you know, so still fairly yes. short. The only other film I've seen him in is from Dust Till Dawn, where he had a, a larger mm. role. But yeah, so, <laughs> a larger you know. part. <laughs> yeah. With two barrels either side of it. Yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> Um, that's, so, yeah. again, that's something we need to cover I think because mm, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a genuinely great mm. like just straight up vampire film it's yeah I think but I saw not it to... once when it came out and not again since so I probably that should is, watch it again surprising yeah I, that was definitely one that worked for me when I first saw it yeah um, oh, so no I, like Overall, I thought it was good. I, I wouldn't rush to watch it again. I can definitely understand if mm. one, if you're not that keen on zombies, you, you know, you'd struggle with this. Um, but I thought there was a lot in there. Um, I, I was trying, I suppose, in some ways, I was trying to compare it to the first one, and then I was also trying not to. Um, I think the first one had some other kind of charm about it that worked, mm. and it could have been because it was black and white. Um, and it was so focused on the human difficulties, whereas this one, in a way, because it had so much changing, you know, the focus yeah. was sort of different throughout. 
Um, but so I, I think they did a good job. Um, definitely a lot of effort went into it. Um, and yeah, and it expanded course, yeah. on on the idea of zombies. So yeah, for me, it was it was definitely good. I think I mean what just watching it and it's a weird one when it's like I know I really like this movie and then I watched it and it's like fucking hell that is cracking though and I go <laughs> I was it was it's almost like sort of taken aback it however I am totally with both of you on the length of the film I think the film needs to be that length but equally that's because I love the film. So I'm happy, but, but I do think there are certain parts that could have been truncated and mm. essentially, because I mean, obviously you've got the remake version, which, because, and again, this was the reason that I wanted to show you this, Chris, is because it was mm. a really rare, there's a really, the George Romero zombie films, certainly initially, it's a really rare thing where you get sequels that are, you don't have to have seen the ones before but yeah, what it okay. does do is it gradually gives you the timeline of the sort of outbreak mm. so night of the living dead is meant to be the day that it all kicks off yeah when they okay. and then this is i think they say something like three weeks or something like that uh into into what's going on and it's a weird thing to watch in a pandemic because, yes, yeah. you know, you're sort of like thinking, well, <laughs> there's people dying everywhere, mm. but TV is still going on. Yeah. And, and I actually quite like, although I think it's totally, it's oddly mishandled in the, the opening bit, is I don't think it's that clear why there's a drug raid going on or that they're, the police are involved in a drug mm. raid and the zombies are kind of separate. Uh, that It's having to deal with that whilst also continuing to do your job. See, now I've got a yeah. note about that because I didn't entirely get what that was. It's never made specific that they're in there exactly. on a drug raid. They just all pile in and they go, yeah, let's get these Puerto Ricans. And I'm like, what are they? Like, are they a cult? Are they all just hold up and they're refusing to go? So I don't get what, it, what, yeah. what was going on. It wasn't made clear. And I was like... They've just gone into a tower block and they're killing loads of people. Like, are they just refusing to leave and go to safe haven? I couldn't quite work out what was happening. Yeah, because they... Wait, is America cops blasting in and shooting? <laughs> doesn't yeah, matter, I mean, really, does it? You know, any reason. It's a given, It's a given, certainly, yeah. <laughs> but I think, uh, no, something definitely gets lost in that because the whole thing is meant to be... It's basically meant to be, oh, it's a drugs raid... And it's like a siege situation where this guy's holed mm. up and he's basically taken the housing, like the, he's taken the tenement block hostage mm. as part of like the final confrontation with the police. But what's causing, what's exacerbated the problem is that there's also the zombie outbreak. So they're all in the, um, they're all sitting in the, um, like in the basement where they've just been disposing of the bodies because they, no one in there knows what to do or can get help or can get out and so on and so forth. Mm. And it's, but it does come over. I think it doesn't, they don't make it that plain, but 
when you know that, like I say, and it's the, it's the similar thing to like where it's, you know, they want to, um, uh, what's his name? Stephen wants to go off on the helicopter and she's like, well, no, we've got to keep this running because people need information. And then that cameraman just goes, look, we're moving over to emergency broadcasts. It's not your responsibility anymore. And again, it's that thing of everyone trying to continue mm. in yeah. spite of what's going on. And okay, there is no way on earth that the mortality rate or the, the sort of danger rate is as great as the dead coming back to feast upon the living within coronavirus. But you do have the, it's like when there's that, there's that excellent fucking guy with the eye patch who basically is Tom Davis. Yeah. Um, but but he, he is just fantastic where it's, because again, it's debates we are seeing on telly or online and stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's like, no, you've got to do this. This is the yeah. thing. Well, why like he's, he's a crazy scientist, right? But yeah, he's, he's talking some sense. And But oh, yeah, who yeah. do you trust? He, like, if he's is... saying one thing, someone else saying something else, it's, it's, mm. you know, how and do you is... know who's right? And this is the thing I, that I made a note of as well. So if we listen, if they listen to the first crazy scientist at the very mm. beginning, who's saying, "Look, let's not go mental," but if somebody is dead, you need to cut their head off. And everyone yeah. is just like snowflake. No, no, oh, oh, you knobhead. And because they don't do that, it gets to the point where it's like we're just going to have to nuke whole countries because you wouldn't contain it when yeah. you should have contained it. You've let it get out of hand. It's your own fault that everybody's dead now. And it, yeah, so well, you do kind of end up, you can see the escalation. Um, yeah. As you said, and Adam, it, which is... It feels very real, hmm. you know. Mm. It, it, but Claire, and actually Claire said something that just, I thought, like, put the whole COVID situation in a nutshell, was if this was, because obviously we're sort of talking about it as we were watching Dawn of the Dead, and she, she just went, yeah, but if the pandemic was a movie, you'd be watching it going, oh, for fuck's sake, just stay in for six months? Yeah. <laughs> Why can you not fucking do this? All you've got to do is stay in and don't fucking breathe on people. Yeah. And yet it's like some, the thing the other day where it was like, um, a, yeah, a, a, wedding, a, a wedding party of 400. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was broken up the other day. And you're like, that's that's a lot, isn't it? Really, when you sort of <laughs> you don't, and you know, and it is, but, it's insane. Yeah. But but as you mm. say, it's it's funny. The so so uh, being at home all day every day, I've noticed this. So I, like you say, have been one of those. Even when the first lockdown started, I've pretty much stayed in unless it's absolutely essential for me to leave the house. I haven't yeah. left the house. I haven't been shopping once. I've filled the car up a couple of times because I need to use the car to do short journeys. I've literally left the house as little as possible. Somebody in my street, which is an elderly couple and their 50-year-old son, um, every single day go out all day. They have no reason to leave the house. None of them no. work. They're both retired. And they're in the habit of, because they're so bored of being at home, every day they get in the car and they'll drive 30 miles to a different supermarket chain just to do something with the day. And now we're in this pandemic. They're still doing that. And I watch them do it every single yeah. day. And it's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? It's, it is a very frustrating is it's, I think that's the thing It's a very frustrating thing. And you end up 
sometimes you're watching the telly, you end up like the, the scientist with the eye patch, where you're like, sort of like, logical. Yeah. It is logical. <laughs> you just have to fucking shut down almost and just repeat it to yourself. Look, no, I am talking fucking sense here. Why can you not see this? It is. Laugh, <laughs> cry, or go mad. Yeah. Yeah. And which, I mean, which essentially they all go through in, in the. Uh, when they're holed up in the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was, yeah. I thought, really good. Because, again, it's that sort of thing of, it's an ideal place, you know, yeah. in terms of zombie outbreaks. I mean, it's the one that everyone's going to do mm. um, because it's famously in the film. But it is, yeah, there's a, a lot of, um, so many pros to it as a, a space to occupy. Um and obviously, the shopping scenes are fun. I I grabbed that wheel of Yarsberg. Yeah, oh, that. it's funny. Jennifer said that. She said you can tell this film was written by a man. They're like, right, step one, gun store. Step two, yeah. power tools, DIY. <laughs> it was like, yeah, you've yeah. kind of got. And, but yeah, that would be me. And then well. and then cheese. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we're gonna get JD, and we're gonna get some power yeah. tools. And fuck yeah. everything else, it's fine. But, um, it is, but it's such a brilliant idea because it is essentially you're in the one-stop place. Mm. Mm. Oh, we need some, we need some hardboard and some fucking and hammer and nails. Well, you go down the fucking hard. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, it's such a fucking <laughs> great sort of idea. And also, there's an infectiousness of. They filmed it, they genuinely filmed it in a mall after dark. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a break over Christmas because, and this will tell you something about the changing in uh, how sort of things work. Uh, yeah, they had a three week break because the mall, because it was over Christmas and the mall had put their decorations up <laughs> and it would have caused continuity just fucking nightmares. But Three weeks of their Christmas decorations, not a fucking month and a half. Month, yeah. yeah, you know, not fucking since September for fuck's sake. <laughs> Three weeks they had their Christmas decorations up, and then it was like, right now, business as normal. And actually, what they they filmed between ten and six in the morning, and apparently that was because the mall didn't actually open till half past ten, but the mall's tannoy came on at six in the morning, and no one knew how to switch it off. <laughs> so at that point, they were like, oh, we're going to have to fucking give up now, because it was just attention came on, choppers. <laughs> so, and also, um, according to uh, according to Tom Savini, uh, the bit, you know where he, um, oh, blowy, um, my brain is not working, when Roger slides down the um, mm. escalator. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently, people kept going to the mall and doing that, so they had to yeah. put like, like one of those box barrier things at the bottom of it <laughs> because that was just that was what everyone wanted to do after they'd seen Dawn of the Dead. They go down the Monroeville Mall and <laughs> skid down the escalator. So, uh... yeah, but... it just, it's funny. It just I think the pro- one of the problems for me is, and it's funny because Jennifer highlighted it as well. Like we were, we'd watched half an hour of this film, and she went, oh, "I thought this was the one in the mall." I was like, "This is the one in the mall. They just still <laughs> haven't got there yet." And this is the problem. Yeah. 
So you've got Night of the Living Dead. You've already set up the zombies. You've set up everything that needs. So you don't need any of that. Let's get the ball rolling. Let's get the story going. You just need. There's some people. They've got in a helicopter. They're trying to escape. It takes 35 minutes for them to get to that mall. Yeah. Just... It, is, it, is a, it is a long thing. And obviously you've got like you've got the raid, which obviously takes up a large portion of it. And it's kind, it's kind of important as to what Roger and Peter make a connection hmm. of basically mm. just, should we fuck this off? Because this is fucking horrible. <laughs> Which is a lovely sort of like idea in a way. But um, but also, yeah, I think you've got that sort of world building there, but there's there are some lovely touches, like when they're refueling the helicopter and there's the, the guys who are going off on the boat. Oh, yeah. And it's like, has anyone got cigarettes? No, sorry. And then the fucking helicopter goes off and they're all just they lighting all up. Light up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I think and it's that's like, the... yeah, that is humanity in a nutshell. Do you know what I mean? It's like, we would be all quite sort of like, have you got what you need? Yeah, go on. Well, good luck to you, mate. Yeah, we're going this way. Good luck to you. Fuck off. You're not having a fag, though, you pompous. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the other thing, because again, we, we're watching when they're flying over and they go over and go, oh yeah, we're over Jonestown now. Look at all these crazy rednecks. And they're just having a hoot, Nanny. They've got all the beer, yeah. they're in the pickup trucks. And Jennifer's like, how are you not loving this film? And I was like, no, if it stayed in Jonestown for two hours and 20 minutes, <laughs> I would love that. Drinking beer, listening to country music. They've got all the ammo they need and they're just effectively playing Duck Hunt. It just looks That's amazing. I would love that. That's what it is as well, is because again, it's that sort of thing of I love the fact that it's like George Romero's world feels like a real world because it's like mm. those guys would thrive. Yeah. Much like the fucking bikers. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, they just do not care. Like it's whatever's in front of them, they're just enjoying it, basically. Yeah. And I mean, like the biker gang, it's an interesting because obviously sort of Hell's Angels in America, it's they are proper criminal mm. organizations or have been, you know, or are associated with a lot. I mean, and obviously, like a lot of it is associated with um, uh, white supremacy and stuff like that. So you've got all the guys in the fucking like storm, like the head of the biker gang's got the stormtrooper yeah. SS helmet and stuff like that. But it's again, they're just they're people who are already liminal, so they're kind of they can just they're just getting on with it. Well, and I thought that when when they were coming along, and Ken Forey says, you know, they've had you know six months or whatever of doing this, they're well versed. And I was like, no, I think they lived like this before the zombie <laughs> apocalypse. Yeah, there's just yeah. no police to fight them now. They've always done this. Yeah. And, and similarly with the rednecks, it's like, you know, with the, you know, it's like sort of, oh, well, you know, we've been deputised. We're allowed to shoot them. Yeah. You know, it's sort of, and okay, the odd accident may happen. Who knows? But yeah, <laughs> it's basically, you know, they've just been told, right, you, your hunters go and hunt. And it's like, yeehaw, you know, that's it. Mm. And I think that, and I, I mean, the thing is, with, it's weird because, I did get a sort of strange feeling watching it this time around that it's like, do the bikers get massacred because they go off the hook? Do you know what I mean? It's like you sort of see, the, like, 
uh, Stephen kind of wants to defend the place from them, and that's what fucks it up. Mm. Whereas really, what they should have done is just hold up, yeah, let them fucking run through, loot the place, and then assess the damage once they've fucking moved on. You know, yeah. just because they are unlikely to have found them where they've set up. You know, mm. that's all they needed to do. But because that's what I thought. He, he hasn't is, learned from the the doctor. Be logical. No. Just yeah, he, he just went yeah. emotional and was like, "You don't take over our place." Like, no, this is it. He's yeah. like, "This is our house," and it's like, mm. "Well, actually, yeah. you've 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 cuckooed this place." Yeah. yeah. And but also, when the bikers go in, they go off the and it's like, "Yeah, soda siphons," yeah. And, and just go fucking Looney Tunes on the whole fucking <laughs> film. And is that why they get massacred? Because again, they've been a highly successful gang, but this was like. Hey, shopping spree! Yeah. You know what I mean? This, like, this is like the like mother load of looting that they've got this whole Yeah, yeah. Stuff. They were just looting everything: jewelry, TVs. It's like, yeah, what are you gonna do with yeah. that? Yeah, when they're mugging the the woman zombie <laughs> yeah. for her pearls and stuff like, like that. It's, yeah. like there's a bank right there. Just go <laughs> in the bank and empty it. It nobody's defending. He's well, like kids in a sweet uh, shop. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what it is. It's too many E numbers. That's why they yeah. take their eyes to the prize and end up getting fucked up. Um, but I mean, it's sort of, I mean, obviously everyone sort of says about the consumerist element of it, but I do just like the fact that the zombies go to the mall because that's what they did. Yeah. Mm. It's that sort of trait thing of like, you know, basic sort of stuff goes in there. Now, Here's an interesting one. Do you know what you got if you were a zombie in Dawn of the Dead? Your payment for the day was you got a dollar, a donut, and a Dawn of the Dead t-shirt. Nice. How fucking cool is that? that would <laughs> I'd just... be happy with that. Yeah. You'd, even, you'd frame the dollar, <laughs> wear the t-shirt, eat the donut. You know, it's yeah. sort of... Yeah. Totally. But I think that um, the one thing I will say is, and this is Tom Savini himself has sort of spoken about it, is the zombie makeup is meant to be grey. Mm. And it's, mm. more, it's more blue, green. I mean, it, it suggests putrefaction, but it is clearly just get a load of people up and powder their face. Yeah. And it's only really when you get to sort of like Dawn of the Dead where they actually start really going... It's interesting because I think Stephen and Roger as zombies, a lot more time is taken. Yeah. Mm. And they really look the part, you know, I think. But yeah, some of the background guys, it's a bloke with a blue face. Yeah. Mm. That's about it. I did notice that, I guess, someone who was wearing a T-shirt and they hadn't painted their arms or anything. So they literally (laughs) just had like a greenish face. All their neck was still the right colour, their arms and their hands. Yeah. (laughs) Again, but like I'm willing to let things like that mm. go. Um, yeah. But yeah, a lot of other stuff I won't, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> go on then. Is is it your turn to to reel off anything that you haven't? No, no. I mean, it's just it's lots. Right. Well, one of the things I did make a note of, which made me laugh, is they just got loads of stereotypes in it, which I'd not noticed before. So like, there's a nun, and there's a nurse, and there's a baseball player. Obviously, the Harry Christian. It just felt a little bit yeah. like a shit village people. It was like, 
what people can we put into like very descript clothing? Like, have you ever seen a nun walking about a mall in your life? Yeah. No. I have. I have. I saw three nuns on the underground at Camden Station. Thank you uh, for that. I'm afraid yeah. I've seen none. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. No, I've definitely I've definitely seen them hanging around in pairs in Lakeside. Oh, mm. just, uh, I mean, not, like not, not, you know, the, the sort of, you know, the ones who look like they're the, the sort of, I don't know, school secretary ones. Yeah, but this, you know, yeah, much this more discreet like... grey, not the full blown black, like, you know. Yeah, this was role. like a proper mother superior. It was just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Although the, the famously, I mean, I, former, uh, former guests, Dean and Drew, I was in a band with them called the VHS Orchestra. Technically, still am, but we haven't done anything for years. <laughs> um, and but um, we we had a song called Gary Krishna that was named after the Harry Krishna in this, because that's how we referred to him in terms of the <laughs> film. So uh, all watching, and actually, I mean that in terms of costuming, though, how fucking bizarre that is and i don't know why it only if only sort of approached me when i watched it the other day that that's the first zombie who sort of attacks uh francine mm. and it's just fucking bizarre because you'd hear that fucking tambourine and then yeah this sort yeah. of sad little harry krishna guy in glasses slowly comes up and it's like why is that so fucking just that's like it's just because it's so odd and so specific in a weird way that you're like, why is that quite disturbing? I don't know why that should be that, but I do like that. I mean, like you say, you get a lot of, there's definitely, I think there's definitely a few people where it was like, hang on, if I'm in this, this is, I want to be seen. Yeah. So can I be an American footballer? Can I be, <laughs> you know, you know, can I, can I just be a fat bastard in trunks? Can I be that? Yeah, and why is he in the shop in the shopping mall with nothing but his trunks? What was that? He's died miles away. He's just made. Yeah, didn't they all just right wander over from wherever they yeah. were? Yeah. But I think that it's a. Um... <laughs> yeah, I think they are. Um... There's some sights in there, definitely. But I like the I like the essential ordinary of this because obviously it's just like you could say to anyone, right, just. Turn up, dress how you like. We yeah. paint you blue. Crack on. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite a nice way of getting like a a real odd group of people together, or something that feels like it's just the general public rather than specifics or whatever well, like that. Also, I, I sort of assumed they did a little bit of that just because of the comedy aspect. So that adds to the sort of mm. slightly caricature uh, feel of it. Whereas if they were all fairly normal. It would have to be more serious, perhaps. I th I think it is also so you get sort of certain ones who become memorable, mm. in, yeah, in a weird way. Because actually, I mean, uh, this is—I don't want to be—I don't want to be Mister Spoiler here, um, but I'd forgotten about this. But um, Tom Savini's character in this obviously dies. Mm. Um, he comes back as a zombie. He's in Land of the Dead. He's like a zombie in land, but he's dressed exactly the same as he is in mm. this. So it's meant to be that that particular guy has 
his zombie body has kept going for quite some time. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just weird little touches and stuff like that that I quite like. Yeah. Um, I mean, most of the cast are, haven't done much, hmm. uh, in fairness. The only person, Ken Forrey is the only one who's really had a career uh, hmm. who, who played Peter. Um, and But the rest of them are all sort of like, you know, they've done maybe four or five things. But I have to say, I think like the but certainly like the four leads are really good, and you kind of expect that they would be actors who've done further stuff or more stuff, or you know. Mm. And it's sort of I don't know. They don't seem to be. It doesn't seem to be like a thing where it's like you get sometimes where it's they've done more theatre stuff or anything else like that. Our friends see Galen Ross um, is a um, a documentary director so they've all sort of <coughs> stayed within the industry and stuff like that but none of them apart from Ken Forrey are actors but Ken Forrey um, is obviously you've got Shaun of the Dead which borrows the title uh, bits of the music and stuff like that and even even the concept of you find somewhere to hold up which mm, turns out to be the yeah. pub rather than the mall um, but again, it's what you need for a, a small, uh, a, you know, a, a minor, a minor apocalypse. The pub is probably quite a good one. Um, but in that, um, Sean works for Forry Electrics, which is a reference uh, to Ken yeah. Yeah. Dead. yeah. I mean, I have to say, I mean, I think the one thing I got from watching it as well was that I think Fran is a really good character um and it's not it's certainly it's a step up from night of the living dead where you've got barbara just comatose throughout most of it you know really francine's got more and incidentally every time i say francine in my head i hear um american dad i just francine that's all <laughs> i can think of when it's so yeah um but she is she's definitely one of the more sort of capable heroines of something, certainly from this sort of era. Um, but apparently, like at one point, um, George Romero, uh, when he was directing George Romero, I was like, right, okay, at this point, right, so the zombie comes in, you scream. And she was like, I don't really think the character would scream. It's not really the right sort of mm. reaction that they'd have. And George Romero was just like, cool, yeah, okay. And that was it. She, he never said that she screamed in any other part of the movie or anything else like that. And mm. it's sort of, yeah, I think that, again, much like the um, Night of the Living Dead thing, where you had, like, where, obviously, you had Dwayne Jones in, in the part, and it was like, right, we're not going to rewrite this because he's uh, a black actor. We're just going to let this run as a lead. And similarly, I think George Romero, this has got like certainly uh, like uh, Fran is a very capable sort of character who's definitely much more on the ball than fucking Stephen is because he's far too fucking highly strung. See, yeah. on the this, this was my problem when one of my problems with this, part of the reason I find it so boring. Um, like I like Ken Forey and I like all the stuff he does. He's the only one even he's boring. He's the only one who comes close to having a character 
everybody in this is just vanilla and has not none of them have any personality. They just kind of sit there and quietly ride through. Like, I, I mean, it's a film, so I know normally people are kind of over the top caricatures just for entertainment, but ultimately that's what this should be. And I just find them a bit like four very vanilla people who don't really have anything. That, like, there's nothing about is, them is that it, stands the, out. Is, is it the realism of it in a weird way? Yes. Where where they would be, you you, you don't necessarily get like speeches or like you say, like character traits and things like that. And that, yeah, no, I can I can see because I I know that you you you're not keen on not keen on that sort of realism, like a narrative realism within mm. something. Um, I know equally that you don't like stuff going bizarre and weird shit in the sort of Suspiria sense. Yes. But, you know, if there's one thing you can't say about Suspiria, it's not kitchen sink. No. Whereas <laughs> this, is a, this is a bit more, this is a bit more human drama, which yeah. is probably why, mm. which is probably why you do need a pie fight and, yeah. um, you know, and also, and this is back to this is something that you will hear when not for everyone are talking about bad taste, and they say, "Do you still get big like circus mallets?" Yeah, and again, it's like you're a highly, you know, you're a highly organised biker organisation, but one of you is just walking around with a big like test your strength mallet. Yeah. What's going on with that? You know, at least Tom Savini's like got well, his character is called Blades. Obviously, because it's a fucking ealing comedy at that point. <laughs> but at least you know he's got stuff that you like looks effectively offensive. And I'm not saying I want someone to want me with a big old wooden mallet, but it still feels a bit. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange weapon of choice. It's like that's the biker equivalent of being dressed as a nun. Yeah. <laughs> well, like one of them is like, well, I want to know it's me. Well, yeah. all in denim jackets and fucking iron crosses, and it's like, <laughs> uh, can I have a big mallet? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> and I, I think that's the thing. I think you're quite right. I think it is that they've made it a little bit too real and not mm. enough. Like, of, I mean, I was thinking about it earlier. It is. It's like, like not to play down what's happening now. And a lot of people mm. have, uh, you know, we've lost a lot of people, and it's a big thing. But for the yeah. majority of us, it's just been the lockdown element you know for the yes. majority of them. so it's going to be one of those things people are going to be talking about this for hundreds of years but you know your grandkids will say did you live through the pandemic oh my god you know although it's terrifying it must have been exciting it must and you'll be like it's the most boring year of my life i literally yeah. sat indoors and did nothing for a full year plus like and and so that so it's an exciting thing for people in the future to look back at as an important part of history, but to have lived through it, it's just super boring. And that's what yeah. this portrays. And it portrays it very well, but that doesn't mean you should make a film about it. You should say, it... do you know what? This should be really, really, really boring. Let's make a film that shows just how boring this would really be. So you think it's like when they get to the mall, so you think it's like lockdown the movie. Yes. I kind of I, I kind of go with you on that one. I think definitely there's that element because it's I suppose actually is that the point as well where it's like so once they lock down the mall and obviously Roger goes off his fucking head and starts acting like a dick and ends up getting killed. Because that's that's the thing I love about the zombie movies is there is the element of 
keep your head. Yeah. And you can make it. Yeah. And okay, there's there's the element of this certain things like you have to sleep, you have to eat, and things like that. But in essence, as long as you're not like as long as you're not using a fucking test your pulse meter <laughs> in the middle of a zombie fucking crowded mall <laughs> whilst guns are going off, you're probably gonna be all right and not get ripped in half. Yeah. So and I think but yeah, and but is that the sort of thing where they get to once they've locked everyone out with once they've locked them all out with the lorries and sorry trucks there we go mm. so for uh, for our uh, American cousins um, but once they've locked all the zombies out effectively this is locked out it then becomes just lockdown mm. because it's like right so we sit in. We've got everything we could have because that's that's the essential thing about lockdown is that, and again it's one of those things where you I've seen you know the memes became stale before lockdown finished but yeah. it would all be things like you know your grandparents like waded through mud to fucking you know or your great grandparents waded through mud to fight fascism to prevent the end of civilization as we know it someone's told you to sit in and watch fucking Netflix deal with it. Yeah, and it's you know it's not it's not a hardship, and that's the thing is they get to that point where they're like they've got everything at their fingertips, but can't actually go out, can we? And this isn't actually life anymore. This mm. is waiting. Yeah, and yeah, okay, you're waiting with, but, like, but it is that, that is just a perception, money. really. In in a way, if if you absolutely have got everything you ever need. It's that idea that, well, I've got nothing to strive for. I'll just sit here and relax and enjoy it. But actually yeah. you sort of want some difficulties and, and changes that you've got to deal with and yeah, and sort of work I like mean, progressing towards something. Admittedly, the one thing that always annoys me, and it's because I think it's the thing that comes out a lot, <coughs> certainly in terms of like modern thoughts within the workplace of, hey, but, you know, if you step outside your comfort zone, you know, that's really good. And it's like, yeah. But say, for example, what, what would you describe as the comfort zone for a plant? <laughs> you know, being in soil and watered. But we could take it out of its comfort zone. And you know what happens? It fucking dies. <laughs> so, you know, there's something to be said for comfort zones you come. But equally, yeah, when you have no challenge or no sort of... And I think actually it'd be an interesting thing is if because not being funny, imagine if if you'd have got like say the pit ponies escaped the the zombie apocalypse and holed up at PMT and just had all the fucking musical instruments they could have, they would have recorded like six brilliant albums. Yeah. But but equally, you know, but they wouldn't have got bored. And and also, there's very little likelihood of a gang of bikers breaking into PMT <laughs> to, to steal to steal their guitars. So, but I think yeah, it's got to be. It does just become, and not only that, but also there's the whole, which I'm glad isn't made too much of a deal of. But it is an important fact that Fran is pregnant. Yeah. Mm. So, and and it has to be said, Peter, steady on there, old chap. When it's just sort of like, well, you know, 
I have, you know, I do know how to do an abortion. Just say, yeah. like, <laughs> how do you know what is going on there, Peter? That's, That's precisely a what I now. said. I was like, how do you know what equipment have you? Like, don't get me wrong. I know you're in a mall, but what medical equipment are you going to, or, you know. I mean, I just wondered if he was just going to fire a couple of rounds up there. And, <laughs> you know, sort of like, and it's like, well, what did you say? I said, I said I could do it. I didn't say, you didn't know, say yeah. I'd come up with my version. <laughs> yeah. I've got to say that uh, some, um, and it's funny because we were, although we were saying about some of the makeup in this being awful, um, some of it was really good. The, as you say, when they went in and the, they were the police and they were storming that tower block at the beginning, that head explosion mm. from the shotgun is just, yeah, I was like, that is amazing. Not only that, was- that gets more amazing. This film had an alternate ending that they didn't they didn't film, they changed before they you know. But up until they were doing it, the ending was gonna be Peter blows his brains out, and then Francine kills herself by pushing her head into the rotors of the helicopter. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, wow, you know, that, I mean because let's face it, it's a fairly bleak film yeah. in its in its own sort of way. Well, but, but it is happy with the ending. Sorry? So the ending they chose is a little happier. I mean, he makes a bit yeah. of a joke. They fly off. But also, how did she learn to fly in a helicopter? Did he I miss that? He was teaching her. He that was how oh, they right. got in. Tra- they, see, because that was the other thing. They got there and they were like, we've got to be very careful because we're very low on fuel. Someone else yeah. should learn to fly that helicopter. Oh, yeah, go on then. Let's go and piss about on the roof on it for 20 minutes. And I was like, mm. "You can." T- by the time you've taught her to fly it, there won't be enough petrol to fly it anywhere. Like, well, that was that was going to be the other part of the ending is that the mm. credits were going to roll over just the blood-stained rotors, and then they slowly. That would have made it more down. like the first film than. Yeah, they were really. I think that, that was probably what they were thinking is that you mm. know they'd done that, but I think by Let's that point, they, were almost, they were at least sort of like, well, I like Peter and Fran, you know, of the of the four of them, they're certainly the most agreeable, or the people who seem to be dealing with it in a sensible way, if nothing else. Mm. You know, they're the only ones who are not... Basically, you've got two people who decide to go heroic dickhead and fuck it up for everyone. And But but isn't both both of those was because they were more emotional? Because um, Mm. Roger certainly had issues with blood, didn't he? Every time he got splattered with blood, he sort of got really freaked out and it... So he seemed to be, you know, he could be messed with a bit. And and um, Stephen... He, he did bring that on himself, to be fair. Because yeah. he was supposed to be out hot wire in the cars. I've never heard anyone shout yee-haw so many times in five minutes. And I've been to a rodeo. Like, you've, it was... Ju- you've and I was you've like, been to... You've met Texans. Okay? And I was like, this is supposed to be a covert operation and you are yeah. a military-trained man. Why are you screaming at the top of your lungs? Well, hot... You were hot wiring a car. It's not that exciting, I'm sure. Like, and I love the I love that bit where Peter where Peter just takes issue with him at that. Yeah, and it's like right, we're no, and it's like right, we're stopping this now. We are not continuing until you tell me that you are with it. Yeah. And it's what's the line? It's like you can play around with your own life, but not play around with mine. Yeah, and it's like, like yeah. And it's a yeah. I mean, actually, Peter gets obviously the tagline as well. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk yeah. the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should. We will have to recreate that shot of them at the top of the mall because I just want that fur coat. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I think that, um, so yeah, so that was going to be the ending. And obviously mm. they then were like, <laughs> and this sounds cruel. Tom Savini was like, I know someone with a very like low forehead, like <laughs> a very small forehead. Let's make him up so we can still do the rotors, uh, take someone's head off moment. But they'd already made the head uh, for um, uh, Francine to get her head cut off by the rotors at the end. So rather than waste it, Tom Savini made up Fran's like cast. So it looked, it looked like Galen Ross. And he made that up to look like a, a, a basically he made it up to look like a black bloke so that he could then shoot it in the and that's the explosion oh, that you were saying about nice. it's actually yeah it was actually her like stunt head because it was because obviously the budget was so minuscule that they were like you know it's sort of nothing's going to waste I've built a fucking blood filled head yeah let's fucking blow it up, up. <laughs> yeah. yeah and actually I mean. Tom Savini and I can't remember what is is um, Tom Savini and his um, uh, Tasso and Stravakis, mm. uh, who was like that's the one was, with the guts. Yes, um, yeah, he they were basically um, that was Tom Savini's sort of makeup assistant and mate and everything, mm. and they basically do all the stunts. Any stunts mm. that you see in this film are basically one either one of them the stunt man so like as well as getting up in the morning making up like a hundred odd extras tom savini was then go and like sorting out all the various props and blood gags and stuff like that and the bit with the screwdriver and everything so in the middle of all that tom savini was also dressing up as other people and throwing himself off the fucking roofs and things like that <laughs> and the bit where he goes over when when his character actually gets shot and goes over the balcony he missed the boxes mm. like so obviously they put like a big pile of boxes for him to fall into he sort of partially missed them so he his legs and his lower back hit the concrete hit oh. the actual floor of the mall and you know what Tom Savini did after that he worked from a golf cart for a couple of days oh my God. Mm. And it's like, what? If, if, I mean, walking that off is pretty fucking, you know, yeah, impressive and insane. Yeah. yeah. It, but I mean, Tom Savini's like sort of uh, even the the little kids that um, attack Peter in the airport. That's Tom Savini's niece and nephew. <laughs> and can you imagine what a fucking great day that was? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like what? Right, we're going to dress you up as a zombie. You've got to attack him. You've got to do it properly. Don't laugh. <laughs> You can't laugh. You really, show me your scary face. Show me your scary face. That's it. Now you run it and make sure. And it's like, yeah, that must be a fucking belt of a day for them too. <laughs> yeah, I, I did make a note about that as well. Uh, how many bullets does it take to kill two small children? Like he basically just empties that oh, entire oh, yeah, assault rifle. You know, like, talk about conserving ammo or whatever. He just unloads a full clip into two very small children who are already laying on a sofa. I was like, it's a little bit of a way. Don't get me wrong. I'm not worried about the overkill. I'd just be conserving, you know, ammo. Double yeah. tap, but I wouldn't go that far. Yeah. Because, I mean, I like that as well, where after Fran's... Because Fran obviously says to him about she'd been using the 
flare gun, like yes. the, the emergency flares. And I do like that where they've obviously decided to conserve ammo when they've got the blow torches because they've worked out, right, we can just, yeah. like Frankenstein's monster walled them off. And there are sort of like, you know, you, you do feel they're doing some of it smartly. Um, a name that hangs over this that might be an indication, another reason that Lee might be uh, less than favourable, is this is produced by Dario Argento, the, yeah. uh, mm. maker, the uh, maker of Suspiria, uh, yeah. who basically, he heard that George Romero wanted to make a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. He really liked Night of the Living Dead, so he gave him all the money and said to him, uh, do you want to come to my house in Italy to write your script so you can get it done, like, uninterrupted mm. and everything? Um, and he did that in return for the uh, European Cup, basically. Nice. So he, so there's a different edit. There was a different edit in Europe of Dawn of the Dead to the US version. Oh, would you prefer that one? And uh, Sorry? Would Lee prefer that one? I don't. I, I've seen it, and I think I think it does actually reduce things. Um, I mean, essentially, as soon as it's like it's the seventies and it's for the European market, means they just put in more blood or, or put in more sort of guts and stuff like that. But I do think I'm not sure if I think it is shorter. I think the European cut is shorter, so I think they do. Um, he does reduce it in that sense, and that is also why Goblin. Uh, doing mm. music because mm. uh, and again they're credited to Dario Argento and the Goblins the Goblins yeah. and it's like it's Goblin and I know for a fucking fact Dario is not playing with them so <laughs> you know, it's a it's a bit much but it's it's a bit like is it a bit like um, Garth Marenghi where it was music by Stig Basvig uh, from tunes whistled by Garth Marenghi <laughs> um yeah, I've got a couple of notes actually about the Goblin music as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, about forty minutes in, where they where they're first in the supermarket, the yeah. music sounds like a terrible kids' TV show. Like it's just it's way too happy and sort of whimsical. And I was like, "What is like?" And, and, oh it, no, there's Goblin don't do all the music. There's parts of it ah. that are. There's library music in there as well. So uh, the song that we shall now forever remember is the Ladies' Bras, yes, aka the Gonk. Is for example that is library music. That's not Goblin. I know that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of the a lot of the mid point stuff in there. There's a lot of like synth drones, and there's a few sort of. Um, also, an hour. That's all library. At an hour and 45 minutes, when they are getting bored, there is a horrible, random, tuneless nonsense that is definitely Goblin. It had Goblin written all over it. Um, Which yeah. one's that? Oh, Wait, what's, what's they're sort of hanging around. I think Ken Forey's up on the roof, smacking tennis balls against the wall. Um, oh, he's... no. that Yeah, no, that's not um, that's not Goblin. That's Library as well. Yeah. Oh, is it? But, uh, yeah. It's it's equally terrible, random, tuneless nonsense with a load of instruments oh, no, that don't they, they, quite go together. Some, yeah, there's some right avant-garde um, stuff on there. Oh. It's quite nice actually, because obviously, like I say, because like the Gonk ended up as Shaun of the Dead and Charlie Brooker's Screen Wipe and News Wipe and everything. It was he was always using the Gonk because it's mm. such a 
it's such a wonderful thing to stick under a politician walking away from somewhere having been a cunt. <laughs> so, you know, but um, yeah, um, but like goblin stuff, the one thing I really enjoy is, and again, there's a, a lot of this is there's a nostalgia element for this as well. Mm. Is we direct when we made that film about um, uh, me and Wes and Dean made the and Bust made the pig film. Mm. We we used some of uh, the music from Dawn of the Dead in that, uh, mostly because there's the music that accompanies when they're doing the trucks moving around and everything, and actually. I really love the idea of driving that little car around, round and round the mall with someone out the boot with a gun. It's yeah. just, but the but the bit of music that's playing under that, I just love it because it's so, like, what I can only describe as SpongeBob heroic. <laughs> it's like it's, it's like heroic, but for like some big dopey grinning tit sort of <laughs> feel to it. Yeah. Um, but all in all, it's yeah. There's but there's a heavy. There's quite a heavy mix between the two. The, go, the goblin stuff is much more earlier in it, hmm. and then a lot of the mall stuff and things like that. That tends to be more where the library music comes in. But like I say, a lot of it is stuff that I'd heard. There's bits that they've got. You know, it's stuff that's been hanging around for years. There's stuff that's in early, like early Doctor Who and hmm. um, other TV shows and stuff like that. So a lot of it's music that's like. 20 years old by the time it gets to this film. Um, it's but, awful. Yeah, it... <laughs> Absolutely awful. It's a matter of perspective. Some of it's crap and some of it's great. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the gonk still sits in the greats for me. That is, so. see, now I do like that. That's the thing. But I have heard that in other stuff, so I knew it wasn't, you know. Um, yeah. So that, that is the point, though. Even if you don't like the film at all, it has influenced a lot of other good things. Because you lose Resident Evil... Mm. And because uh, it's weird, because obviously Night of the Living Dead is the is the original, and I I agree with you, Chris. I think this might if this had been in black and white, it might have had a, it would have added to the fact that there's that realism element to it. Mm, Whereas with yeah. this, the color, especially because like like Tom Savini said, where like the 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 ashen face has come out really green or really blue. Uh, yeah. The blood's really luminous and mm. sort of not particularly realistic, um, and I think yeah, they're, they're makes it seem a bit more like dead. a comic, I suppose in a way. Yeah, yes, it's definitely like it's definitely you've it's sort of we've now got color, so we're going to use mm. all the color. Yeah. Um, was I right in my? I've made a note here uh, at the very beginning, so about an hour and fifteen, uh, one minute and fifteen seconds in. Um, when they're in the TV. I was going to say, the film's not that long. When you said, like, <laughs> at the beginning, about an hour and 15. <laughs> uh, yeah, one minute, 15. So when they're in the TV studio, they keep cutting to two crew members sitting at a desk. Is one of those George Romero? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he is, yeah. I thought it George was. George Romero, yeah. I believe he's also a biker dressed as Santa <laughs> in the raid, yeah, like in the biker raid at the end as well. Because I mean that's that's uh, again, like much like the donut and t-shirt business, it's like do you know someone a market bike? Yeah, do you reckon they'd like to ride around a fucking shopping mall, like in the middle of the night? Would they? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can convince them. You know, <laughs> all of George Romero's projects do seem like a lot of fun to actually do. It, yeah. I've, I've got to that's say that 
yeah, I say that especially the driving around. Like I, I said that <laughs> watching it, I was like, oh, watch it. I know it's that ropey old VW, but yeah, on that mm. shiny floor in a super, that must have been super dangerous. Like the slightest little turn yeah. of the wheel, and you're going through a shop, and you've got to pay for that. I mean, I was quite surprisingly. Apparently, there was very little problems in that sense. Apparently, if, if, apparently, a couple of people got pissed and crashed a golf cart. <laughs> which, consi- which, considering that the golf cart might have only been there because Tom Savini nearly broke his fucking back, is <laughs> yeah, health and safety. There we go. Um, right, is that everything covered off? I would think so, Chris. Any final final thoughts? Um, I can definitely say that I'm looking forward to the next. In line, <laughs> even if it doesn't happen <laughs> soon. <laughs> ten episodes. Well, we agreed it. One every ten episodes is my uh, my limit that I can handle. Seems fair enough. <laughs> well, well, just be rest assured that we'll have we'll have obviously we'll be fuck knows where we'll be with mm. Moss Eisley Tower by that point. Mm. Um. You know, I think we we probably would be coming towards the end of the end of the sort of the the whole sort of sequence. Well, so sort if, of it's, if it's ten episodes, we'd have finished because there's eleven films and we're two yeah. films in already. So we would have finished That's by true. the time we do the yeah. next one, unless we get convinced to add any more. Well, I know I know that Bobby is very keen on doing the. Um, uh, the Ewok movies, yeah, uh, and I don't. I think the man, I think the man's mad, but uh, <laughs> you know, but he, but he's not the first, and certainly not the last person to have asked if we're going to do them. So we will, we will have to see. See, it's we'll funny see. because I saw them when I first came, when I first, when they first came out. So I must have been six or seven, and I remember mm. even at that age thinking this is dog shit. Like, I remember this again, and I never did. The, the, the one, the one thing I always got with it is I remember watching it and just thinking, "So is the dad meant to be Han Solo?" Because <laughs> I think, because I think, even in my brain at that point, I was like, "This seems cheap enough that Harrison Ford wouldn't have turned up." <laughs> you know, like it's not, you, you know, like for a six-year-old, that's a fairly sophisticated set of things to have put together <laughs> on the basis of the acceptability of this film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, right. So, um, obviously, so next week we will be uh, doing Moss Eisley Happy Hour uh, mm-hmm. for the Revenge of the Sith. Yes. And then the following week, Adam has had a rather good idea. He thinks... We... Go on. Yeah, go on. No, no, well, after you. Well, two things. Chris has never seen a David Cronenberg film, or certainly not as part of the uh, watch through on here. But we also could give ourselves a nice slice of Vincent Price at the same time. So the next episode, we shall be watching The Fly with Vincent Price. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yes. And then after that, we shall be watching David Cronenberg's remake of The Fly. Possibly like uh-huh. the thing, one of the few sort of 
possibly more definitive remakes than yeah. uh, the original. But yeah, only time will tell, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that uh, sounds good. Yeah. Nicely, and nicely, will... Vincent Pricey. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I should, I shall leave you with the words. <laughs> It'll all become clear, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Right. Thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Uh, don't forget to go and check out the Not For Everyone podcast. Um, yep. As we previously mentioned as well, the Oblong Babysitter is back, so go and check out what they're up to. Yep. And we will be back next week for Moss Eisley Happy Hour. Thanks ever so much for listening. Night. Night. Night.